Welcome to Optimize My Life, the ultimate radio show where we unlock the secrets to living our best lives. Now, before we dive into this exciting journey of self-improvement and empowerment, I want to take a moment to thank our incredible sponsor, The Hope Collection, for making this show possible. Their unwavering commitment to spreading hope and positivity in our lives is truly remarkable. We believe in the power of interaction, so we want you to be a part of this incredible journey. Call in, write to us, or connect on social media. We'd love to hear your questions, experiences, and challenges. Together, we'll create a thriving community of like-minded individuals, supporting each other to thrive and shine. Good morning. It is the first day of the week. It's the start of the week, and it is the first day of your faith-fueled wake-up call, roughly in the morning, with our new house. Ed, theologian. Ha, I said it right this time. One of those words I tend to butcher. <laughs> well, Welcome. I'm not I'm not a theologian, but good morning. <laughs> you know, you don't give enough, enough credit. You know, Ed and I went through Reboot together, and you do, you have a lot of insight when you share it, which is why I wanted you to expand that into a show. Because you do have a lot of out of the box or that neutral third party way of thinking that gets others thinking. Well, I think we all do. I mean, we're all. Uh a work in progress, right? We are. And we're all trying to simplify and trying to ignore our inner critic, which says, uh, just sit down and be quiet. You know, in this uh, day and age, too, you know, so many people would rather just stop and not say anything and just shut down out of that fear of what someone else is going to say. Right. But we have to move on. I mean, um, Bruce, Bruce Lee said there's always plateaus in our life. But just because we reach a plateau doesn't mean we're not supposed to stop and build build a camp we're supposed to move on so I'm learning how to move on <coughs> I love how you and, rephrase that when you talk about plateauing where so many people talk about just settling and being just here and accepting this is how life is going to be yeah, uh, if you don't like 
like it, change it. <laughs> change is here to stay, so you might as well live with it, deal with it, and do it. Because whenever I summon the courage to express my voice, and it takes a lot of courage, uh, I'm hopeful hopeful that uh, truth will resonate deeply with those listening. You know, the conversations we have, you know, what you do say does resonate. You know, part of the idea for our Bible study tonight was based off of conversations you you and I had. Hmm. Okay. (laughs) Well, you know, about finding that purpose and figuring out, asking yourself the hard questions of why am I lost? Why am I not finding our purpose? What is my purpose? Right. I know what my purpose is. It's to use your voice. No, it's to be an irritant. (laughs) (coughs) We call that in my world the God gift. Because it comes natural to us. Yeah, I'm sort of like the uh, grain of sand in an oyster. Irritates the snot out of it, but turns into a pearl of great That's price. Right. So. Never thought of it that way. Yeah? I just always embraced it. I have just that personality that will either be your best friend or your worst enemy, and I can irritate the heck out of you without even you realizing it. But I'm entertaining <laughs> myself in the process. At least ask my husband that one. <laughs> yeah, I I do that with my wife. <laughs> and there are times whenever she doesn't appreciate it very much. <laughs> That's when you come back with the comment. Uh, you could be sitting there staring at the screen, just doing nothing. Or you're being entertained for five minutes so I can entertain myself. Yep. And you're learning endurance and perseverance because you're learning how to deal with irritation. Yeah. One one thing uh, I was told a long time ago, don't pray for patience because whenever you do, it usually comes in the form of irritation. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why we were put and, on uh, this earth. <laughs> I'm sorry? That's why we were put on this earth. Yeah, they irritate one another. <laughs> <laughs> the... Uh, the one thing that uh thinking about was everybody says, you know, we have to think outside the box. Gotta think outside the box. Well one thing you have to remember is 
There is no box except the one that you create. So uh, we have to develop the ability to confront our problems so that we don't or shoved into a box. You know what I'm saying? That is a good way of putting it. Because so many people, you know, you're always taught to think differently or think different than everybody else and think outside that box, but really you're right. That box is what we created for ourselves. That we sit there, tunnel vision, this is how things are supposed to be. Yeah. And you bang your head against the wall, hopefully, theoretically, not literally, trying to solve a problem. But if you are your own boss. Do you ever see uh, Star Wars? Which one? I live in a house of nerds. By that, I mean my kids. A house of nerds. My kids, because my husband used to be a Star Wars fanatic. He's not too big on the new ones. But my kids could sing the theme song of Star Wars before they could say Star Wars. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of spiritual truth uh, that comes out of that. And uh, the one was whenever Yoda in uh, The Empire Strikes Back, Uh Yoda said, uh, he told Luke Skywalker, he said, we must learn, we must unlearn all that we have learned. Every every day is a new, new challenge, new challenge. Uh, new way of doing things because even even uh, God told us, you know, don't rely on yesterday's manna because it's not good for you. It won't be good for you. It'll turn into nothing but worms. And <clears throat> we have to rely on the freshness of our thoughts. And uh, drink from the pure, uh, pure water that flows out of the throne of God. If we don't, we're going to get sick. That's the way I look at it. I mean, that's just my my interpretation. And uh, we're it, we're in the Christmas season now. And what I like to do is I I, I like to try and uh, get people to look at at the words of Christmas songs. I mean, I'm I'm doing a study on uh, the song "O Little Town of Bethlehem" right now. It's uh, very very interesting. You know when the uh, when when the little town of Bethlehem was written? Mm-hmm. 
Have you seen the movie that Kevin Sorbo put out? It's more of a documentary on The Last Supper um, called Before the Wrath. Uh, no, I have not. It's a good show. It has different faith leaders in there, and it talks about Bethlehem. And one of the mm. things it talks about is the fact that where we think Bethlehem is mm-hmm. may not be exactly where it is. They found um, fences, stone fences up. They talk about the town being fenced in. Mm-hmm. And so I think it might be like 25, 50 miles different than where it was. Well, you know, there are two two Bethlehems. Correct. And um, the, the song that was written was... Uh, by Philip Brooks. And he was um, <clears throat> he was a pastor of the Episcopal Church. But he he served in the Union Army in from eighteen sixty three to eighteen sixty five until to the conclusion of it, and then he returned to his parish, and parish actually sent him on a rest and recovery uh, trip to Europe and the Mideast, and he was able to see a lot of um, different things, and But what, one thing that he saw was uh, the little little town of Bethlehem, and he wanted to. He he was a he was a great supporter of the Union and the abolition of slavery. So uh, he greatly admired Lincoln. <laughs> And what brought him to fame, I guess, pretty much, was the sermon that he did uh, whenever he eulogized uh, Lincoln after his assassination. But uh, he saw countless cathedrals, museums, and holy sites, but a small town in the hills south of Jerusalem left a last impression on him. And uh, he was staying in Jerusalem in December of 1865, and he recounts trip he made to Bethlehem for Christmas in a letter (coughs) sent home. And he says, uh, before dark we rode out of town to the field where they say the shepherds saw the star. It is a fenced piece of ground with a cave in it, which all of the holy places are caves here. Strangely enough, they where they put the shepherds. 
um, the story is absurd, but somewhere in those fields we rode through, the shepherds must have been, and in the same fields, the story of Ruth and Boaz must belong. As we passed the shepherds, as we passed, the shepherds were still keeping watch over the flock, and we returned to the convent and waited for the service. Now, his, uh, when he returned to Philadelphia to his congregation in 1866, he, uh, he wrote lyrics to <coughs> Bethlehem. But it wasn't until 1868 that it actually uh, was performed, and he tried, he got his organist to write the music. And the organist uh, had a great, uh, how, you, how you want to say it, uh, <clears throat> what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah. It, it wasn't... Well, anyway, I, I, I just say on uh, this is what Mr. Redner, the organist, said. Uh, Mr. Brooks came to me on Friday. This is in December, and asked uh, Redner, "Have you ground out that music yet?" The old little town of Bethlehem. He replied, "No, uh, Mr. Brooks should have it by Sunday." And on the Saturday night previous. His brain was all confused about the tune. He said, I thought more about my Sunday school lesson than I did about the music. But that night, I was aroused from sleep late in the night, hearing an angel strain whispering in my ear. And seizing a piece of music paper, I jotted down the trouble of the tune as we now have it. And on Sunday morning before going to church, I filled in the harmony. Now, neither Mr. Brooks nor Mr. Ledner thought the carol or the music would live beyond that Christmas of 1868. And it is one of the most well-beloved, think out of the box, you, you have to not be offended if you don't see immediate results. I mean, this is a, this is a society of immediate uh, gratification. If they don't see immediate gratification, they give up. But here's a case where it wasn't until 1868 that the song was actually put to music and then uh, later, um, it was, this is 1868, that he, he, he did it for his Sunday school uh, class, uh, Mr. Brooks did. Now, the carol itself wasn't even published in large scale until 1874. and was officially admitted to the official church hymnal of the Episcopal Church 
1892. Now that's a, you know that's a long time. It can all all be our lives can be uh, should be and are supposed to be prophetic, but <clears throat> man has. Uh, We think that our lives, if we don't see instant gratification, they're pathetic, not prophetic. You know what I'm saying? You know, when you bring that up, I mean, you got to think about how life was back then, too. We didn't have computers. We didn't have typewriters. You wrote everything by hand. Mm-hmm. So everything took time to do. True. And as you're doing right in the song, all these old songs that people poured their hearts into learn in writing are still one of our cherished songs today. I mean, you can't turn a Christmas song on or a radio station or playlist without hearing these classics. Right. And I like the classics. <laughs> I do too. I grew My up kids with know. The Bing Crosby, Gene Autry, Christmas, and Burl Ives more than they do the modern music. Mm-hmm. Yep. But we have to take time to... I try to get people to think about what they're hearing... I mean, I'm I'm an amateur historian. I just, I love to research. And when things pop into my head, <laughs> sometimes they pop in and pop out before I get a chance. But uh, I enjoy researching and uh, a, lot of, a lot of the things that I write about People never hear. And that's why I want to thank you and uh, for uh, allowing me the opportunity to share a few things. Since you're a historian, um, I'm working on creating a new show. And you know, our history is being rewritten. And it's being forgotten. And we're not looking, we're looking at history now through modern eyes. And I want to go and create a new show and I'm working on it. Written by the eyes of the people that lived it. So we understand these significant things in time, why they happened. Based on their timeline, not our timeline. 
Okay. You know, one of the big things that really got me started going was one, the JFK thing, but two, you know, Pearl Harbor. And how it was a conspiracy to get us into World War. And we're looking at, well, why didn't they just radio it in? Do y'all not realize? We didn't have direct phone lines back then. Right. We didn't have satellites to say, oh, there's a ship out here. We had to relay it in among different relays to get to where it needed to be. And radar was a new thing. Yeah, yeah. And literally, yeah, it's a new thing. Air travel in war was a new thing. Fighter jets, all that things were just being used for the first time. But we look at things so simply. Well, you know, because it happens this way. This is, and because, you know, there was a newspaper article written two days beforehand that said, you know, an attack on Hawaii was imminent by Japan. And then it happened two days later. You know, things like that. Well, yeah, but we never, who, look at 9-11. We never think that, a planes are going to come across and they're going to do what they do. Right. But our society is so close-minded when it comes to things. I mean, we have Looney Tunes that now go back and believe that the world's flat. Who thinks the world's flat? Seriously, you haven't heard that again? Yeah, it's called the Flat Earth Theory. There's a whole bunch of Looney Tune people that believe the world's flat. (coughs) Because when you go up to the North Pole and you go to Antarctica, you see these snow ledges that are, you know, hundreds of feet high. That's the end of the Earth. We're dumbing down our school systems to meet our kids is halfway. Oh, yeah, I'll go along with that. My whole thing is, it's great. Now, if the world's flat, let's put all them people that believe it's flat on the edge and push them off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let them uh, walk off the edge. There you go. You know, it seems like the more technology advances, the more things are available, the smaller our circles are becoming, the more closed-minded we're becoming, and the more we're not looking at things from a bigger picture. Mm -hmm. And we need to be back to, you know, it's the one thing I love about watching kids, mine and others is they have such an open mind. Yeah. You 
you know, to them the world had had that. Right? They they will no matter how mad they get, they gotta solve that problem. They don't give up when they're little. Nope. They are dogged and relentless. And we seem to lose that as we get older. Yeah, because it doesn't fit our age. I'm almost 70. I'm still a kid. You know, I think a lot of us, when we let go of the worry of what others think and the care about trying to impress everybody, we go back mm-hmm. to that. You know, I think as we get older, we start to to become more carefree again. We get childlike. <laughs> yep. You know, it kind of like goes with the joke. I always tease my husband about it. The difference between men and bo- little boys, the price of their toys. <laughs> yeah. But it's like your middle age, your, your uh, 20s to your 40s, is we get so stuck into this mindset that we think we're right about everything. And we just bang our heads against the wall and become so self-conscious. That we don't accomplish much. We just survive. We just make it. And we need to learn to let go. Yeah. I used to worry about how people saw me, what they thought of me, and whenever whenever I I would speak, people would say, "No, that's wrong." And I finally got to the point where I said, "Wait a minute, they know it's wrong. Maybe it's wrong for them, but it's not wrong for me." So why do I care what they they say? We cannot live our life according to someone else's predetermined uh, issues with us. Know what I'm saying? I agree with you 100%. And I'll, for me... I used to be really self-conscious because of the way I looked. (coughs) I was very tall, very skinny. And Mm -hmm. so I always got a lot of attention when I would go out. And then I had a lot of people were friends with me because of the way I looked. And it took me being in the military and being really dirty and really smelly to get over that. And not care. 
you know, but then I was also raised old school by my grandmother who was Catholic. And basically she stopped progressing after the 1950s. So girls were expected to look a certain way when they go to public. You had to be dressed nice. Your hair had to be done, look appropriate. So it didn't help matters. But, you know, now I just don't care. You like me, you hate me. You just, I don't care. I don't live my life based on your opinion. Yep, I look at it like problems me. You got problems. Because <laughs> I don't care. So, you know, uh, we we grasp at uh, words others say about us whether or not they're edifying or encouraging. Sometimes they're more damaging than anything. So, uh, it's not so much what you say, it's how you say it. And I'm done to the point where I'm very careful of how I say things, but at times it does get the better of me. Uh, I don't uh, I'm sort of like the uh, old Chinese philosopher he said uh, better to hold your tongue for a minute than to uh, and to hate yourself something like that uh, for the rest of your life things that you said so I uh, I, do, I do a lot of uh, study on, on the martial arts and uh, the Bushido code and things like that because that one it's part of my heritage. I'm I'm Japanese. I uh, was born in Okinawa. And I got really killed a lot back in uh, back in the day. So I to myself, but every now and then there were just went up flying, and. The uh, <clears throat> I was walking home from school one day, and this kid was throwing rocks at me and just being really um, obnoxious. And finally, I just turned around and ran at him. Him and I went at it, and. Uh, Later, uh, as we grew up, he became my best friend, and he was my best man at my wedding. So 
you confront your fears, a lot of times you find out they're they're smaller than an angel. And well, what we have to remember is our Goliath. What we think is our Goliath. Our God is bigger than that. Right? It is. And our Goliath really is internal. And I really believe our... We are teaching our children to... Not explore who they are, but more shove them in a box. Based on our own thoughts and beliefs and what the new trends are. Right. What happened to creativity? It creates too much of a mess. Sort of. But that's all part of uh, discovery, isn't it? I believe so, but I'm one of the few parents that, you know, encourage it. You know, the the trends now is, you know, we're supposed to take, we're trying to adapt our kids to what we believe is the Asian culture, where we force our kids to learn from birth and no, do nothing but academics and music and things so that they're smart when they get older which is really not how the Asian culture operates. Mm-mm. But because that's what they see on TV and we see these kids in, you know, junior high and late elementary school getting tutors and things like that and, you know, getting the good grades. But when they're little, they're taught responsibilities. They're taught, you know, all this stuff but they're still allowed to be creative and play. And here we're taking that play away from kids. And you give right, a kid a stick now, they have no <clears throat> idea what to do with it. The brain has to have... <clears throat> Was it playtime, relax time, in order to uh, grow and uh, help uh, help a person uh, to mature? But what is maturity? People say, you know, me whenever I act up they say well act your age I said I am I am acting my age I'm a kid leave me alone I don't care what you say there's a time and place for everything this is true but I will do what I do in order for me to grow 
right? I agree with you 100%. What people don't realize is playtime, creative time, imagination play, the stepping stone to learning how to be a problem solver. You know, when parents complain about their kids not being entertained, that you have to entertain them. You have to do everything for them. Did you let them play? Did you let them take a sheet and pretend to be a goat? You know, do they have that imagination to color a picture? Because that's how they learn to solve problems is through creativity. That's how you learn to think outside the box. Stifled at a young age. That's where we have problems. And now we're once again raising a whole another gener- set of generation of kids <coughs> that have no idea how to do anything for themselves. Right. So I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's like I was talking to my kids' as teacher today, or Friday. So my kids go to school online, mm-hmm. go to school on the computer. And my daughter struggles with math. And so she will go and drag out 10 things to be able to add and subtract. And I'm laughing so hard that I had a talk, when we were talking to the teacher about it, I go, you know what's funny is, you know, when we were kids, we couldn't wait to find a calculator and use a calculator. Hell, you know, back in the 80s, you had the watch on your calculator. These kids have a built-in calculator on on their computer, but yet they never think to use it. My kids don't think to use it. They have the internet to Google 5 plus 5, but no. They figure out... Ten other ways before they get to that point of how to use it. <laughs> you know, my daughter's way of cheating was asking her brother the answer, and he figured it out really quick that she, what she was doing, and so he started giving her the wrong answer. Because he thought it was funny to see her reaction when she got the answer wrong. Yeah, for about 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Learn by trial and error. Well, really, as a society and as a whole, we're going backwards. We're not going forward. Yeah, some of us are trying to go forward, but it's like fighting City Hall. You know, when you think about inventions, really, we haven't had something unique, different of an invention in what, 50 years, 100 years? I mean, people talk about the electric car. That ain't new. We had an electric car in the late 1800s. Mm-hmm. They didn't think it was viable then. It was designed and marketed as 
car or the woman's car to go get groceries and come home because that's as far as the battery would last. When was the last time we went to the moon? That's it. Well, I was reading an um, interesting article about um, why our railroad tracks are designed the way they are and why our space shuttle engines are the size they are. And our railroads were actually designed over in England, but when they built them, they used the old wagon tracks from the Romans. And how the Romans figured out, and the reason, and because of the size of the wheels, and the, uh, the reason that our wheel sizes were odd, odd size was because that was the most aptitude size for wear and tear. If it was smaller or bigger, they would break more. And so the joke was, when they were going through this, was, you know, really, our invention was based off of a horse's ass. Because the chariots and the wagons were were pulled by horses. And it was all based on the size of the horse and how the harnesses fit on the horse. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, so that's, yeah, it's really cool when you actually break it down because, and like our engines for our shuttles are just big enough to fit on a train car and go through tunnels. <coughs> because of the size of the engines, they have to be transported by train. Hmm. Money to. Put them on a seven forty seven flying out, huh? Wait. Something to do with weight and it was explained. I didn't read in the detail about it. I just, I was more fixated in the fact that everything was built based on the Romans and chariots and wagons from thousands of years ago. Hmm. And how this ancient civilization has basically so far ahead of its time you know our math is based on the romans and the greeks our road our aqueducts our you know our way of living is literally based on a thousands of years old civilization Mm -hmm. and the only reason their civilization collapsed was due to their welfare system and immigration Yeah. Which is once again happening now. Mhm. Oh yeah, I I agree. So as we are rewriting our histories, we're forgetting about our past, and we're going to end up making all the same mistakes all over again because we didn't learn from the first time. You gotta learn from your history. You gotta learn from your past. 
Did you ever see the cartoon, the, uh, the Lion King? Oh, yeah, what? I love the Lion King. Oh, yeah, me too. Well, uh, I can't remember the, uh, name of the baboon, but whenever he hits, uh, Simba on top of the head with his stick. Rafiki. What did you do that for? Uh, who? His name's Rafiki. Rafiki, that's it. Um, he he takes another swing at him, but this time Simba ducks. So he learned a lesson. And if we don't learn, we have to learn a lesson in our own lives. The things that we do have consequences. The words that we say have consequences. One one, uh, one thing you can't get back are words once they're said. So <clears throat> we have to be very, very careful what we say. And to who? Uh, at least I do, so. <laughs> There's times the filter gets broken. No, oh, yeah. yeah. The filter gets broken every time I get behind some person in a car driving... 25 in a 55-mile-an-hour zone and no passing. That just irritates the snot out of me. (laughs) I get that way when it comes to listening to people talk about, you know, everything has to be happy. Everything has to be perfect. You know, bad things happen, but you know what? It's okay because we're happy. And I I look at it as, oh, my God, they drank the (laughs) Kool-Aid. What they put in that water? Really? It's like this toxic positivity is the way. And even therapists are now chiming into this. I actually had a half-hour debate with a therapist about it because it's like no there's one thing to be happy and I'm happy you know but bad things happen and we have to understand it's okay that bad things happen but be real about it yeah learn from it you know since I got out of the service I have become the most accident prone person in the world That sounds familiar. (laughs) And it's the running joke in my house. Because my husband's like, what did you do for a living? A medic. (laughs) (laughs) He goes, and? And I go, well, yeah, what's your point? You know, I used to figure skate, (laughs) you know, as a kid. I used to do ballet. And he's like, yeah, right. 
you've broken your hand how many times over something dumb? You've ended up with stitches cutting your hand. You know, <laughs> so it's just Murphy's <laughs> law. I've been on God's grace list for so long. It was my time to give it up. I mean, even as kids, you know, we think back to all the dumb things we did as a kid. Mm-hmm. If you're thinking back, oh, my God, we survived this. <laughs> you know, this is something our kids, I'm hoping my kids will sort of do. But, you know, the, the generation now will never experience that kind of life. I mean, we used to take, you know, inner tubes and tube in the river through tunnels that went under the road. Oh, yeah, that was a blast. (laughs) Yeah. You know, how many kids did that? Nowadays, you know, my grandma told us stories when we were kids about how, you know, she lived uh, in a um, farm community, and so they actually had to walk to school. Mm -hmm. And... You know, having to run through the, they'd cut through the cow pasture and hope the bull wasn't around or they'd have to run, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, jumping you. on, you know, train cars to get across town is a way of life. Yeah, no, I never did that. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, let's go out and play by themselves and not being watched and supervised the whole time. Yeah, give them space, man. I mean, whenever I was growing up, I'd leave in the summertime. I'd leave right after my parents went to work. I'd leave the house, and I wouldn't come back until after my parents were home. Yeah, but you never called in and checked on, you know, you didn't have cell phones for them to track you. You didn't have GPS markers to put on your clothes so that your parents knew where you were. Right. That's unheard of now. My friends. But that's crazy. Well, we have created a society of fear, really. And we are the authors of that society. I mean, no, it's like. You know, watching the news. All you see, you know, it used to be you would see negative and positive. You'd see the good uplifting stories with a little bit of bad. And now you Mm. see nothing but bad. It's We live in a society and people are complaining about it. And I go, well, don't tune in. If you don't watch it, if you don't subscribe to it, if you don't see it, they're not going to air it because they don't get the ratings. No, you have to be proactive about it. And we live in now in a society of fear mongering. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter. Go ahead. 
No, I just said, isn't that the truth? I mean, you had COVID for three, four years, and now there's a new virus that's going to kill you to keep you inside and scared. Oh, yeah. And if it ain't a virus, it's a war. If it ain't a war, it's something else. There's always going to be something that's going to strike fear to keep us complacent. Mm-hmm. Well, Scripture even says, you shall hear of wars and rumors of war. Either in the natural or at least in the spiritual. Right? That is 100% true. So, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me or uh, opening this up. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed it. I hope everybody listening did. If you're not busy at noon, you can jump on and join me on my noon show. We're going to talk about finding your purpose. Okay. It's a little start of um, the Bible study for tonight, but we're going to talk about how to find your purpose. Cool. And how to do the deep thinking of yourself to find your purpose. Back here next Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern for Revly in the Morning with Ed. (laughs) Twice in one day. (laughs) So have a good day. Have a good afternoon. See you back here at noon, and we're going to talk about finding your purpose. Have a good day. Have a good night. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to Optimize My Life Radio. We hope you found today's show insightful and empowering. Remember to follow us on social media at Optimize My Life for updates, additional resources, and to stay connected with our community. Join us back here tomorrow at 12 p.m. Eastern for a-